When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's the report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Alan White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Tuesday, December 17th, or May to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, again by calling 929-274-3437, and we'll play what you have to say on air. This week, Joe Burrow cruises to a Heisman, Lamar Jackson remains good, and NFL officiating remains bad. Check your sources. We're on. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. College football cools off a little bit until it ramps up again. But as we know, nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League, and one of the teams that was the most well-known for circling the wagons will find itself in the postseason. So we'll talk about that. We'll start with college football, though, quickly. Since the Heisman ceremony was held on Saturday, to no surprise, Joe Burrow was victorious in historic fashion, garnering basically all of the votes. A great speech afterward about his relationship with Coach O, what it means to play for LSU, couldn't happen to a better guy. I know you had the opportunity to watch it, as we all did. Thoughts on the Heisman? It went to the right person, it looks like, and what that night signified for him. Well, first of all, Johnny, we say hello to all our, our, our listeners. And as we prep for Christmas, hope everybody's getting the, the, uh, the holiday uh, cheer cranked up and the shopping is almost done. Uh, from the sports perspective, it has been... A very nice stretch drive in college football as we hit the holidays. And the topper of the awards, as you just mentioned, uh, to me has always been an enjoyable Saturday night. I know a lot of people poo-poo the Heisman and talk about, you know, first it was a running back award, now it's a quarterback award. I love the Heisman. I've watched the Heisman Awards since I was a kid. Pretty much every one of the guys who you see up on that stage that Saturday night, I have seen play. As a kid, teenager, college student, quasi-adult, and an actual adult. Whether it's you know Johnny Rogers in Nebraska, Steve Owens in Notre Dame, or John Capaletti at Penn State, you know uh, Gary Beeman at UCLA, and obviously Arenthal James Simpson, Archie Griffin, at all. Uh, obviously, OJ's not on that stage. But the point is, I, I go back to 1966. The first Heisman Trophy winner I remember watching was Steve Spurrier in the Orange Bowl playing for his beloved Florida Gators. Uh, pretty much everyone since. So I've always watched the award. I've always watched the speeches. I've always watched the prelim for it. I just think it's a great, special to me, it, it's still the most special award in all the sports because, as they say, once you win it, your name always starts with Heisman Trophy winner, and then comes the name. And that's just the way it goes, plain and simple. The rest of your life, you are known as Heisman Trophy winner, Joe Burrow. And there could not have been a better evening for LSU that young quarterback, his teammates, his coach, his coaching staff, his hometown, and the entire state of Louisiana that Joe Burrow gave us all 
with his speech, the way he pointed out how his career has found its way to the state of Louisiana from being an Ohio kid who grew up in a very not in not a very good section in terms of the socioeconomic status of where he's from in Ohio, and him saying that he's from an area where kids come home hungry, and this shows all of them, you can be here. I mean, you get choked up listening to a kid say that. Talking about his coaching staff at Ohio State, how well they treated him, his journey from Ohio State to LSU, his love for the, the people of the state of Louisiana, his teammates. He thanked his offensive line first, which was, I thought, incredibly humbling by a quarterback to do because they're the guys who keep him upright. They're the guys who let him sit in that pocket. They're the guys who block for him. And then obviously finished with, with thanking Coach O. We broke down a couple times. But to see him thank Coach Ogeron and, and break into tears and thanking that coach for giving him the opportunity, as he said, to run his football team and all the things it meant to him and his family, I thought was heartwarming. I thought in a time frame when we are such naysayers about everything, in college sports, especially about, you know, nobody goes to classes anymore. Uh, let's pay them uh, for their likeness, for their jerseys, etc. cetera. Uh, to see this kid who started at one school and never got a chance to fly. And had he not transferred, we may have never seen him start a game. He may have never started a game in his college football career if he not transferred from Ohio State. And in talking about the three lead players at the award, all transfers, all quarterbacks, him, Jalen Hurts, and of course, Justin Fields, who transferred ironically to Ohio State um, from Georgia. I thought it was a great night for him. I thought it was a great night for college football. I thought it was a great night for college sports. I, I thought it was what we always romantically wish and hope that college sports will be about. And I thought he ended his regular season and SEC career with an exclamation point on Saturday night. He certainly did. I also think in 2019, you can at least listen to the argument more so than 20 years ago, say, that the Heisman has lost maybe some of its luster in that you usually know exactly how it's going to go. I mean, unfortunately, it has become more of a quarterback award, not taking anything away from the quarterbacks that have won it because they're certainly deserving. But you can basically chalk it up that it will be a quarterback. It's mostly quarterbacks you can, you, they're representing. You, you can award. now, but you know, it used to be a running back award oh, yeah. every year. Right. And that is simply because of the way the game has changed. It has become at all levels, whether it's high school, college, or the National Football League, much more of a passing game. When it was a running game, running backs won it. Now it's a passing game, quarterbacks win it. Simple as that. It's not so much a change in the mindset, it's a change in who's the most important player on the field. The best running back is the most important player on the field because you ran the ball two-thirds of the time to at least half the time. Now you throw the ball more than half the time. So the quarterback has become the focal point because not only do you throw it more, these spread offenses put so much more emphasis on the quarterback in terms of decision-making as whether or not the ball is going to be thrown or run and sometimes run by him. So as a result, the emphasis on that player, uh, of course, has resulted in the award being predominantly a quarterback award. Right. I also think, too, with how far advanced we've now become in the social media realm and the technology realm, the entertainment realm, Years ago, when you're growing up watching the Heisman, there could be years where some of the finalists were players that you might have only seen play on TV once, if not any times. Now, obviously, you can get access to every single player, but I think what's changed as well is early in the season, there'll be a handful of names that get thrown out of, all right, these are the guys that are most likely going to be the Heisman. Joe Burrow was not one of those before the season. 
you could have picked him out of a hat and looked around the room. Wasn't in the top ten. Who's this guy? But after maybe four or five weeks, the storylines start coming together, and I don't think the storylines are researched well enough as the season continues as we might like them to be. Throughout maybe five or six or seven weeks, it's all right, here's the best five players. This is what we're going with. And the example of this year, and again, we're not taking away anything from the finalists and who won, all well-deserving, but one that gets brought to the table was Trevor Lawrence, Clemson's quarterback, who through the first five or six weeks, and especially in the North Carolina game, was not playing very good football. But from that game forward, he was equal to, if not just slightly worse than Joe Burrow was for that rest of the way in the season. Did he deserve to be a finalist this year? No. But there are also other players throughout the season, like Clemson's Travis Etienne or Wisconsin running back Jonathan Taylor, who I think didn't get the necessary recognition because it, it seems like for the voting for the Heisman, it's, it's half skewed, right? It's the national college football writers that have to stay up for all the games, watch all the games, watch all the players. And then there's the former winners and others who aren't necessarily going to kill themselves to make sure that they see all the, all the players in college football. They're watching the highlights on SportsCenter and saying, wow, Joe Burrow lit it up again. This player lit it up again. All Wisconsin right, so doesn't play anybody. New age naysayers, which is perfect for this show. You want to cha- I, I guarantee you want to change the voting process. You want to limit the number of votes. Too many people vote. You don't want it to be six regions in the country. You want it to be much narrower, and I am fine with it just the way it is. Yes, I used to like when the results would be much more of a, uh, for for lack of a better term, uh, unknown, uh, much more of a crapshoot, much more of a mystery, because you had this notion that you know, the guys from the Southeast were only going to vote for someone from the SEC. Guys from the West were going to vote for the Pac-12. Guys from the West were going to vote for the, the Big Ten. Guys from the Northeast were going to vote for somebody from Penn State or Pitt, etc. And the regional bias, I think, has changed a great deal with the opening of the voting process via social media and everybody's ability to see all the games. I don't think you see – now, I haven't seen the, the, the results – but, you know, and it's hard to factor in this year because he broke the record at 95% of the first place votes. So everybody voted for him. But I would hazard to guess if you look through the last four or five years, you would not see the same kind of trends that you saw in years gone by where you know, the lion's share of one region voted only for a player from that region. I think it's become much more of a fair spread with the ability of voters to watch all the games and watch all the players, which is the way it should be anyway. Now, would I like it to be more mysterious? Would I like it to be more of a question mark? Absolutely. But th- there was no question mark this year. With all due respect to Trevor Lawrence and, and his running back teammate, Joe Burrow had a perfect season. And I don't just mean 13-0. He had a perfect season. He had great game after great game after great game after great game from game one when he saved their bacon against a then-top-10 Texas team. And just right down the road, this kid had the storybook season for the storybook team. Absolute perfection. You know, no runs, no hits, no errors. He should have been the all-time first-place vote-getter in the history of the Heisman, keeping in mind who he, who he beat out for that record at 91% and Ohio State quarterback from 2006 who probably 95% of our listeners never heard of. And his pro career lasted the length of this program. So I have no problem with those others not being recognized because they get plenty of recognition. Clemson will get recognition on semifinal bowl time, you know, in, in the in the uh, in the playoff series, you know, as will Justin Fields, as will Trevor Lawrence who didn't go, as will Chase Young, right? and as will Jalen Hurts. The guy who belongs at the top of the heap is the guy who got 95% of the vote. He should get all the attention. Because those programs, okay, were powerhouse programs before Trevor Lawrence got there and before Jalen Hurts got there. 
and before Chase Young got there. Plain and simple. This program was a good program. He made them a great program. Plain and simple. Oh, yeah. He's more than well-deserving this year to break the record, to get all the votes, to win in a landslide. Completely understandable. It's just the other finalists who hopefully, as we continue the years here, everyone that gets a vote, or the majority at least, continue to do their due diligence with the entirety of the season, et cetera, and not just say, well, this guy's going to win in a landslide. What difference does it make for the others? Because while Heisman does follow you around, as it should, for your entirety of your career in life, sometimes, too, Heisman finalist gets thrown around with some guys, if you do it maybe multiple times. You know, we're not going to remember every finalist, just like we don't remember all the teams that lose in the semifinals in professional sports. You have to get there. We don't remember the teams that lose in the championship game. You got to win or you're forgotten about, which will continue to happen. But it's, it's just something to keep in mind as we continue along, seeing how the voting process goes and, and how they handle that. But Joe Burrow, 100% deserving and didn't disappoint in the speech, as we mentioned. It was an incredible night for him and one that will long be remembered. And now, no pressure, Heisman winner. <laughs> now go win us a national championship for LSU, right? That'll be the next step in the upcoming weeks. In, in what should be a incredibly enjoyable uh, college playoff series. Uh, yes, LSU is, is a double-digit favorite against Oklahoma, and I think that they are... Uh, the clear choice in that game. The Ohio State-Clemson game has a chance to be a game for the ages. I don't know whether or not it's going to be. I certainly can't wait to watch it. We have three undefeated teams and a 1-1 loss team. We have uh, all one, two, three, four. We have all four of the Heisman finalists, right? One, two, three, one, yeah. Two, They'll all be three, there. all four, all four of those, plus Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, who, who everybody thought would be there. So, I mean, we, we have literally a who's who. We have everybody there that you would want to see, with, of course, the exception of Alabama and Tua, who got beaten fair and square by, obviously, Joe Burrow and company, and then, of course, got beat by Auburn with Tua going down. So, the teams that are, are supposed to be there are there. We don't have any issues with somebody who needed to get in or should have got in who didn't. Whether it's five or six or seven or eight, they don't belong there. You could certainly make an argument that Oregon could play with Oklahoma, but they had two losses, so Oklahoma's only got the one. And Utah proved that they didn't belong. So uh, this is really a scenario where we don't need to talk about give me six with two buys. We don't need to talk about let's expand to eight. You know what? We've got a bunch of two loss teams and we gotta decide which one of those, you know, sixteen two loss teams are gonna go. You know, and then somebody's still gonna be crying because I should have gotten in. You know, it doesn't matter how many how big you expand somebody's always gonna cry. This year, there's no tears. There's nobody who can complain that I should be there. Not one team has the right to complain that I deserve to be there instead of Oklahoma. Not a one. So to me, it worked out just fine. I've said before, and I'll say it again, my only change would be, I don't know how the Peach Bowl ever got into this. I can't figure out how it happened. I still say my original plan that I fostered 20 some odd years ago that Mike Francesa told me would never work because you got to cope with the bowl games up. Um, my plan was to take the four major bowls, Orange, Sugar, Fiesta, and Rose, and have two of them get the semis, one of them get the finals, and every four years, somebody's out of the mix. You rotate out, so three of the four get a game, and every fourth year, somebody's out. That, to me, would be the perfect way. The Rose Bowl should always be involved. Uh, in my system, also, they would not be involved for, for one every, once every four years. But, you know, how, how the Peach got in there, I have no idea. No idea. How did the Peach... I love Chick-fil-A. My son and I went there Saturday night. But how did the Peach get into the mix? You want to tell me that? What did I miss? Doesn't even have a great logo. 
It's just a peach. At least the orange bowl puts a nice <laughs> smiley face on the orange. It's just... You know, and nothing beats the granddaddy of them all. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Well, we're not going to be on to preview that game, so we'll have to give out who we think is going to go to the national championship. I think we. You probably, go first. Well, you go first. You 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 are the new report, yeah. so you break the news. From what I've been saying about Clemson already to this point in the show, I think you know where I'm going in the Clemson-Ohio State game. I think it'll be kind of close, but not close where it's, oh my goodness, close like that was a respectable game from Ohio State. And I think LSU's fine with Oklahoma. So LSU-Oklahoma, LSU-Clemson is my pick to go to the national championship. Well, I'm certainly with you on LSU. Uh, I, I don't think at this stage of the proceedings what they've been through to get here and all the teams they've battled and fought and played incredibly well against, uh, I, I just can't see them losing to Oklahoma, an Oklahoma team that is struggles on defense, is not as explosive as in years past. And I think Oklahoma will score. And I think Jalen Hurts will play well. I just, you know, it's it's rare when you talk about Oklahoma and say you don't think they have enough firepower. But I don't think they have enough firepower. And they got plenty, but I don't think they have enough. Because it is incredible as their offense has been under Lincoln Riley, this is without a doubt to me the, I don't want to use the term uh, fourth worst uh because none of them are, are bad, but the, the least productive of the four offenses, uh, far and away, to me, is Oklahoma. And that's despite the fact that they're an incredibly productive offense. Because the other three are just flat-out juggernauts. They're explosive. They can run it. They can throw it. Uh, they're electrified. Uh, I would put Ohio State third and obviously Clemson second. Why? Because you always lean towards the two best-throwing quarterbacks, which are clearly Burrow and Lawrence. So uh, I, I think Oklahoma will compete, but I like LSU by double digits. And the other one is much tougher for me than it is for you, because I think if Justin Fields plays well, we've got a, a one possession down to the wider game. But as I said to you last week, I don't trust Justin Fields in this spot. Why? Because he's never been in it. He's never been in it. And I could see a turnover here, a turnover there, a fumble, an interception, and it gets away, and it gets away early, and you know you've got a repeat of Clemson, Ohio State a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden I don't think they'll get shut out. Don't get me wrong, but I, I could see this game wind up being, you know, 38 to 17 versus 34 to 31. I'm hoping for the latter, uh, but I don't know which way it's going to go. But I am picking Clemson uh, to win the game. And potentially a, it's hard to say for the ages because we've had some dandies in the last few years, but I think it will be a great championship game in LSU in Clemson uh, in the state of Louisiana. So uh, not a huge home field advantage because it would be Clemson who's not too far away, but a home field advantage nonetheless for LSU. I like LSU. Uh, LSU to win the whole match. We'll see what comes down as we get closer. We'll be off for two weeks, but we will be back in time for the championship game. But I agree with you. Same final, LSU and Clemson. Uh, number one versus the undefeated defending champs. And if you listen to this show throughout the 60-plus episodes, you then know we'll be seeing Oklahoma and Ohio State in the <laughs> national championship game, or at least one of the two. We usually don't go perfect, so... Fade accordingly, as we like to say. To the National Football League, and we tease nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League, and as the old saying goes, the Buffalo Bills. I'm not going to start off talking NFL at the Buffalo Bills. Sorry to Buffalo fans. Unless they win the Super Bowl, we'll gladly do that on the program, but we could save them. We have a theme on the show still. 
looking for the great teams, the teams we can trust, the teams we can put our faith in. It's starting to come together, I think. But the list isn't very long. This week didn't necessarily help that. (laughs) With too close for comfort games, games being too close and then going the other way, your Baltimore Ravens still, still holding the torch for me, Al. Still the team I have the most faith in to this point. And actually, it's, it's mostly just AFC teams. I like them. I like the Chiefs right behind them coming together at the right time. I'm really liking the New Orleans Saints if we go by the Monday Night Football contest. And you, you can't discount the Patriots. But there's, there's still a lot of teams where I think in the early rounds, if you don't have a first-round buy and, and can get to the next round and the divisional round without having to worry about playing in for it, you've got an uphill climb no matter what division you're in. I think those early games, they're going to be toss-ups with what we've seen from the teams involved in that. Even with some of the better teams in the NFC, at least record-wise, with like the Seahawks, the Packers, the 49ers blow a game to the Falcons, the differentials of their wins and how they've looked at certain times, I mean, things are going all right now, but it's one game, and it could be over. And if they don't play their best game that one day and then have to do it again the following week, it's going to be a long ride home. I think we're seeing more of that scenario than we are of I'm incredibly confident that these teams will make a deep run in the postseason. Well, to me, there are only two teams in my mind. I don't know why I always discount the Saints. I guess it's just this this constant disrespect I have for them because of that damn building. Um, And they have such an advantage playing in that building. But to me, the teams that are playing the best are head and shoulders in the AFC, uh, you know, the Ravens uh, and and then the Chiefs. I, I was actually a little concerned on Thursday night because Lamar Jackson was supposed to look picked up with a calf and he comes out and takes him on two straight touchdown drives. The Ravens special teams are a little spotty. The greatest kicker in the history of the game actually somehow someone missed an extra point. Uh, the second of the season and third of his career. Uh, they didn't cover the kicks that well. Uh, and they still won by you know, three touchdowns. And if you had told me, as I said to Nick Wright on Friday night, I, I didn't not want Lamar Jackson as a Raven fan, but I desperately wanted a running back in what was a pretty strong running back draft. Uh, And the Ravens were picking in the beginning of the second round, as you recall, they traded up to get uh, a late first round pick and they took the out back. And I wasn't dead set against that pick, but I wanted one of the Georgia running backs. I wanted Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle. Uh, Nick Chubb was certainly there. He went in the beginning of the second round to the Browns. And the Pats took Sonny Michelle. If you had told me in my wild, and I don't care who you are. I don't care how much of a Lamar Jackson supporter you were. I don't care how much of a naysayer you were. He shouldn't play quarterback. He's a wide receiver. Bill Polian. I don't care if you were one of those defenders of Lamar Jackson. People are saying that you wouldn't say that if he was white or you wouldn't say that if he wasn't that athletic, whatever the case may be. Don't tell me in your wildest dreams, as I said to Nick Wright on Friday night when I was on his show, that you could have possibly imagined or bet any vital, important money of your nesting that with two games left in the National Football League regular season, not only would Lamar Jackson have broken the all-time quarterback rushing record of Michael Vick and going to shatter, but he would lead the National Football League in touchdown passes in conjunction and along with the most stunning statistic of all, 
that he is doing so while being 25th in the National Football League in attempts. Leading the league in touchdown passes in a league with Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, the not as great as he was, but still great, Aaron Rodgers, the relic Tom Brady. And he leads that league in touchdown passes. And he is 25th in the number of attempts. To me, that is the most astounding statistic this year in the National Football League and one of the most mind-boggling statistics I have seen in the National Football League in recent memory. He's like a video game. In real, you create a player in a video game, you put it on the easiest setting, and you do this in a video game, what he's doing in real life. 15, 20 passes a game, four or five Five touchdowns. touchdowns. No problem. You don't have that, you run for 100 yards. I'm trying to be objective, even though, of course, I am subjective. What I have noticed is a progression. I knew when he was coming out of Louisville, he was nothing remotely resembling the finished product. I certainly thought that there was more to be done in terms of his throwing motion, uh, in terms of his accuracy, in terms of his footwork. What they've done is they have basically kept that throwing motion pretty similar to what it was. What it is, and what you're starting to realize, is it's quick. The ball gets out quick. It's not like Tim Tebow's long wind-up, ball not high enough. You watch Lamar Jackson throw the ball, it's a very short, quick release. And it comes out, and he's, he's got a rocket. He has to work on his accuracy. But what you're also starting to see him do in terms of the maturity, he saw it a couple times against the Jets, He eluded trouble, he got out of the pocket, but instead of trying to make a play, the play he made was he threw the ball away. Got out of harm's way and threw the ball down the field and out of bounds to avoid an interception, to avoid a grounding penalty and avoid a sack. That's the growth of a quarterback. And what I love is after he threw a touchdown pass to Hollywood Brown, in the back of the end zone, on a throw where he probably should have led him more towards the sideline than towards the end line. The first thing you saw on the Ravens sideline was John Harbaugh coaching him up. And I mean seriously coaching him up. Not just smiling and laughing and talking about a little something. He was working hard. And Jackson was listening and telling Maybe it's about what I mentioned, but whatever he was talking about, he had his quarterbacks here, and it was not, you know, hey, how you doing? Great job, kid. You know, it's, uh, that's, your th- that, that's another touchdown pass. That's not what it was. It was serious stuff. And I love the job the staff has done, and you can see he's improving all the time. That the bulk of his production is going to have to come from the pocket. He's not going to rush for 1,000 yards every year. He'll get killed doing that. And he's going to have to, and he's learning more and more to stand in the pocket, throw the, but they do some ballsy stuff. I mean, they really do. Fourth and a foot from their own 30, not only do they go for it, they throw the ball. And when there's nothing there, he scrambles to his right and he finds the tight end for a 45-yard catching run. So they got serious balls. They use all four downs. I don't know how much that's going to extend into the playoffs, but one more win and the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC goes through Baltimore. And I think it's going to be a very tough road for anyone to get through. Uh, I think Kansas City's going to be their toughest competition. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And in the NFC, I think all of those teams are kind of coming back to the pack. 
you mentioned what happened to San Francisco, you know, losing at home in the last second to you know an up and down Atlanta team. Uh, the Packers win, but they never seem to win impressively. Seattle hung on. They won. But as you've said so many times, they didn't look that impressive doing it. Uh, the Rams, who were on a really nice run and playing really well in a huge game against Dallas, get absolutely lambasted uh, in Jerry Jones' house. Minnesota rolls on as Phil Rivers continue to show us, show us it's time to hang it up, and yet wants to draw with anybody and everybody who will listen. So I, I really think it's up for grabs, and keep in mind that as topsy-turvy as they are with the issues with their coach, if Dallas wins that division, somebody's got to go to Dallas and play an incredibly talented, underachieving team in their own building, in the first round of the playoffs. And I still think that's a scary thought. As, as up and down as they have been, pasted at home by the, uh, by the Bills on Thanksgiving Day, they turn around and they finally beat a team with a winning record and beat them, a team that's been playing well, and beat them badly, badly, and look really good doing it. I'm not going to sit there and tell you Dallas is going to spring a first-round upset, but that is certainly not a great spot to go in a first-round game uh, when you've battled all year for a first-round buy and don't get it. Your reward is go play Dallas, uh, who's 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and playing their best football of the season. Much rather go to Philly. I would agree with that, especially after what we saw from Dallas it wasn't necessarily a statement win just because of their struggles throughout the season, as you mentioned, but winning 44-21 and seemingly doing it without having to be overly dominant, if that makes sense. I think Amari Cooper had like two catches. Dak only threw for like 200 yards. Zeke did his thing, obviously, but there wasn't a lot of whoa games from the names that you expect them to come from. That's the frightening part. So they put up 44 points, and it's not like Dak had to throw 450 yards or Ezekiel Elliott ran for 200 or Cooper went out. They just played football, and they won 44-21 against a supposed good Rams defense. Air quotes in supposed. Sorry, Wade Phillips, former Broncos defensive coordinator and Super Bowl champion. So if they get hot at the right time, you still look at the lineup on paper and think, how are they where they are now? I mean, Jerry might just tell Jason Garrett to stay home and have them go out and call their own plays. Just go out there and do your thing. He can clap in the locker room. We'll try that out if they get into hosting the first-round playoff game. And if they beat the Eagles, it seems like that would wrap up the division. That seemingly is the game to decide it, even though one remains after. And how crazy the NFC has been this year, who knows? The last game could, for whatever reason, upset special, change that from the previous game. But we'll get there next week. I would rather play in Philadelphia. I would agree with that, too. And another team that you look ravaged with injuries, but sometimes there'll be quarters where Carson Wentz does his thing, and you're like, how is this team not 13-3? and three? What's, what's happened from the Philadelphia Eagles of old? Potential Hall of Fame, not Hall of Fame, MVP, Carson Wentz, years of old. Not many years have gone by from that. So that'll still be, the whole NFC is still going to come down to the last week, as crazy as it's going to be. And it's a matter of where you're seated, and if you can avoid that one game where you don't have it and that's all that the other team needed. They play their best game, you don't, it's over in the blink of an eye. And it's not going to matter if your record is 12-4 and four or 13. doesn't matter. Got to win that one game to keep going on. I'm interested, too, speaking of the Cowboys. Did you catch what happened at the beginning of the game 
When I mean, Dallas special teams. I've put too many American dollars on Dallas to have to watch too many of their games. Between the field goal kicker, Marr, not being able to hit the ocean, if he was standing on the boat and they put down the tee and said, hey, just kick it, at least for the latter five games or so. The fair catches in the fourth quarter on punts where the guy had 40 yards ahead of him against the Vikings, fair catch. The ball's going out of bounds on the kickoff, and then they send Dak Prescott out to do the coin toss, and he answers 16 different ways when the official just asks him, what do you guys want to do? Defer, kick, receive. And he says 17. What are you doing? So then he, he answers, defer, we'll kick, we'll this. And everybody on Twitter is going, they're going to have to what kick is- now, and then they're going to have to kick in the second half. What, what did he just say? What is he doing? And then the NFL swoops in during halftime and says, wait a minute. In the rule book, we can just come in and make the correct decisions here. Dallas will get the ball in the second half. We'll, we'll make the right call. What kind of a rule is this? correctable error. Guy, guy blows the toss, and it's a correctable error. Every fan across football can tell you 20 different instances as a fan where they were asking for the NFL to swoop in and make the correct football call. What, what kind of precedent is this setting now? for the rest of the year and the, and the rest of years to come. They just pick and choose their spots of when they can and can't do things. And when they do do it, it's, what, what is this? Where Let's was keep... this in the Saints game? Instead of changing the whole history of pass interference with, oh, these can be challenged. Where's the call down to the official to say, we're the National Football League, that call was wrong, fix it. Where's that? We're doing it for coin well, you, flips. You, 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 you can't do that and you can't do this. Can't do either. You, you can't simply impose a correction on the officials for something that's not within the rules. And to me, that's that correctable error. That was an error by the player. The player just messed everything up six different ways to Tuesday. So you just have to leave that alone. The same way there wasn't a mechanism for the officials to be reversed on the pass interference call. So it's not reversible. Yes, the rule's been enacted to try and remedy that call because, you know, it came in such a big spot. And look, there's been plenty of bad interference, non-interference calls over the years. But once again, it happened in New Orleans, poor New Orleans, you know, the team that was gifted a trip to the Super Bowl when they beat up Brett Favre and later on got fined for it because they had, you know, courtesy of uh, their defensive coordinator, they had, uh, you know, money on the table to fire out, of, you know, to knock Favre out of the game, and call after call after call, four or five late hits weren't called, and then the phantom interference penalty. How about that? You know, how about that? The phantom interference penalty that today certainly could be challenged. That gave New Orleans the necessary yardage for the field goal on the first possession, which was a joke that got them to the Super Bowl that they eventually won. That, that game was just a total and complete, I don't want to use the term fix, but one of the most one-sided, officiated games in the history of the sport. None of that was correctable. The NFL didn't call down there and say, hey, throw a flag. They hit Brett Favre late for the fourth time. Why? Because their defensive coordinator's got a bounty out on them which I was a little concerned about Thursday night, by the way, uh, you know, with the Jet defense, because that's the way that coach operates. Um, but that wasn't correctable. There was no mechanism for it. There's no mechanism for it. You don't do it. Guys screwed up. Let the stuff stand. Oh, we're swooping in. They're going to get the ball. Under what scenario? How is it a correctable error? Guy made the wrong decision. How's it correctable error? It's like saying, you know what? Dak threw the ball to the wrong guy, so let's take the interception off the boards. Yeah, he didn't mean to do yeah. that. Wrong play call. Plays, play, play didn't happen. Run the ball this time. I mean, come on. Just let the game alone. Let it alone. Leave it alone. Let it breathe. Let it evolve. Let it go. 
You want to improve it? Improve the officials. Less penalty calls, less rules, less bullshit. Let them have a little infighting for the ball. Let them clutch and grab a little bit. Not to the point where somebody's getting a huge advantage. They want to mug each other a little bit. One's going one way, one's going the other way. One push the other push. I can live with a little infighting. As long as it goes both ways. None of this nickel and dime BS on third and 28 with a five-yard illegal contact penalty. You know, six yards past the line of scrimmage where a guy gets bumped. Or the offensive player runs into the defender and pushes him out of the way and they call illegal contact. It's bullshit. Let the game breathe. Let the boys play. It's a much better game when you let the boys play. They officiate themselves. Happens in all sports. Stay out of the nickel and dime foul calls in the NBA. Same thing with the NFL. And an MLB, you know, enough with the bullshit when the guy slides that thousandth of an inch off the back and raises up after a steal. That crap shouldn't be real. And that, that shouldn't be part of, you know, replay enough of that. You want to replay an MLB? You know how much time you got? 15 seconds. And you got to do it without video. Do you want to know why? That's the way the umpire made his decision. Do you think it was that bad a call? You need video to decide? No, you make your call in 15 seconds. That's it, and that's all. No cameras, no nothing. No monitors, no phones, no iPads, no, nothing in the dugout. I thought he was safe. In the old days, you had to go out and scream and holler and kick dirt out. Now you can, you can use one of your challenges if you're so sure. No calling up stairs. Don't go into your video guy. Video guys are eliminated. They're no longer a part of the transaction. They're no, they're no longer a part of this. They're no longer involved. You play the game the way it's supposed to be played. With your eyes, with your ears, with your mouth, with your arms, with your legs. That's what got you there. Not cameras, not iPads, not tablets, not cameras in center field with towels over them. Not stuff in the runway with, with towels over it. Bullshit. Sorry to change the subject to the Astros. But change the Astros, up. the Patriots, enough of the cheating. Curveball. Play the game. Play the game. It Let just, it breathe. It sets a terrible precedent for future games. Like this, this instance in the Cowboys game was, I think, the first instance where we knew this rule existed where the NFL could just swoop in and make a change if they deemed it necessary to do that. So in all the years that this rule has been around, where have you been? <laughs> this was the first egregious thing that's ever happened in the National Football League? A coin toss? It just makes them continue to look horrific, which is typical for the National Football League. There'll be a handful of plays coming leading into the postseason and in the postseason that are going to be egregious. We've seen that from the officiating all year. There's going to be terrible calls all postseason long. Where will the NFL be for those? Must have not brought the rule book with them to know they're allowed to, to apparently just be able to say, no, no. No, no. Ridiculous. It is the... You know, it's almost hard to say because we say it all the time about the three sports when we get into a settee with the officials about how they're the worst officials. No, they're the worst officials. No, they're the worst officials. You know, we talk about football in the NFL, but then, you know, as soon as baseball, we talk about Angel Hernandez. How does he have a job? Or the NBA officials. You know, how can you possibly miss that? You know, how is that not a foul? How do you call that nickel and diamond with the game on the you know, I mean, one team going to line 45 times, the other one 15. So it, it, it transcends all of them. I think the hardest part with the NFL is the fact that, you know, their insurance salesmen and their doctors and their lawyers, and they're not full-time officials by trade, which really needs to be changed. They need to be younger. They need to be more athletic. They need to be full-time guys uh, and work year-round. And by when, when they're not 
working games. They should be working camps. They should be studying rules. They should be uh, instructing other officials. Uh, they should be, and they get their couple months off. I mean, you know, umpires don't work 12 months a year, but they're full-time. NBA officials don't work 12 months a year, but they're full-time. And I understand their games are all week long versus once a week. But they don't also generate the kind of income that the National Football League does. So there's absolutely no reason why the officials shouldn't be full-time officials. They want to do something else for their three months or four months, it's fine. But they shouldn't go to their day jobs Monday through Friday. Their day jobs Monday through Friday during the season should be NFL football. Al, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We're taking a two-week hiatus. We'll be back the week of January 6th, so I have to get all those salutations. As Chris Berman would say, alongside nobody circling the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, let me be one of the first to wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, <laughs> and we'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. To all our listeners, we wish you all the best for the holiday season. Very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year with your families. We will be back for the college football championship game after the round of semifinals are completed. We'll be ready to rock in the National Football League. NBA Christmas front and center, Lakers and Clippers should be a classic. Until next we meet, for my great partner, the one and only John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, a.k.a. Al from White Plains. Have a great holiday season and a great sports holiday season, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.